Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, happy Friday and good morning. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis and so grateful and uh, privileged to have with us today my good friend uh, Frank Pavone, who I still call Father Frank Pavone, um, even though he was wrongfully in, I think, anyone anyone's reasonable view, uh, uh, defrocked from the Catholic Church and uh, simply for his ardent pro-life stance and also for being a Trump supporter. And you would think that that uh, the church would want more of the pro-life advocates and uh, their positions. Because interestingly, Father, um, the the uh, there has been a, I think it's something like 40,000 um, Catholic churches and bishops, if I'm not mistaken, are uh, were advised to withhold um, the taking of the sacraments uh, from any politician or member who actually affirms abortion. And this came down recently. So uh, what's kind of the, the disconnect between that story and, and what happened with you? Well, it's politics. It's the weaponization uh, of uh, the church, just like we see the weaponization of government and many otherwise legitimate procedures and institutions that we have in America uh, now being used by this uh, radical left uh, that has infiltrated the church as well as the state uh, in order to punish political opponents. That's it in pure and simple. And uh, the fact that it has gotten to such a uh, a degree within the church uh, is going to be a, uh, perhaps astonishing, perhaps surprising to some, uh, but it shouldn't be surprising to us anymore. This is the stage of the battle that we have reached. And isn't it sad that the church, um, and, I, and I include evangelicals and Protestants in this as well, um, has become so political uh, in really, I mean, this this goes back all the way to the Middle Ages and, you know, when uh, the church wanted political power and, you know, we saw all of uh, the, the various events throughout world history um, of the church engaging in politics in a way that was for its own power and political purposes instead of to effectuate the Great Commission and ultimately the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, to me, and this is a, a topic for another day that uh, we should get into, but, um, you know, this whole notion of a separate of church and state, you know, some people would then say, well, the church just needs to get out of politics as, as a whole. Well, no, we as Christians are called to be good citizens and be good leaders. And the work that you're doing, um, Father Frank, for Priests for Life and to advocate for pro-life, that is a political consideration in our country because laws uh, come out of legislatures which are inherently political. And we uh, also litigate cases in front of the judicial branch, which is, of course, um, unfortunately, political. Um, it shouldn't be political, but it is. And then, you know, the executive branch with setting policy. And so the church has to be engaged in our greater civil society, but the church itself should not be political and concerned with power. And so, 
Um, so, you know, in, in the sense that, of course, that our founders um, contemplated and famously Thomas Jefferson did in his letter to the Danbury Church of a separation of church and state was basically just saying a separation of powers and saying that the church and the ecclesia have certain issues under and subject matter under the jurisdiction of the church rather than under the jurisdiction of the government system. And, you know, thankfully, there are certain things that God gave the state instead of to the family, for example, where, you know, parents also have certain things under their jurisdiction um, that is not the province of the church or the state. And that's why parental rights matter. And so we need to have a better a view and understanding of our government system as a whole so that we can navigate all these issues. But this is why, um, Father Frank, you are part of a pro-life leadership coalition uh, in your role for Priests for Life. And um, you just held a national uh, meeting of these leaders. And um, you had mentioned to me earlier this week that it was very fruitful dealing with elections, Congress, abortions, state-by-state battles. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, Where do you want to start? Well, yes, uh, the idea of the coalition in itself, I think, will be an encouragement to our audience because, you know, everywhere I go around the country, interacting with people in the pro-life movement and the conservative movement, people say, as I'm sure they say to you, oh, why can't the groups work together more? You know, are the groups working together? Um, And uh, and we are. The good news is that we are. I've been helping to, uh, in fact, leading uh, these coalition meetings for decades now. And some of them are behind the scenes. Some of them are quite confidential. Um, but the one we had just now, a three-day strategy meeting uh, here, at, we held it here at our Priest for Life headquarters in Florida, uh, is is something that we, we, we want to shout from the rooftops because the, the purpose was to bring these leaders together to come to some points of consensus that we could then communicate to the pro-life movement so that we could be more effective. As you said, we, we covered a number of key topics. So uh, let's start with, with uh, uh, the, you know, we have a new Congress now. Uh, obviously, we have divided government, so we're not going to be able to get pro-life laws passed, but we certainly can block uh, a lot of what the other side is doing. And, and also, it doesn't mean that you know, the House of Representatives, for example, shouldn't act uh, in terms of pro-life, and they have taken some action already. So we discussed that, and, and, and we talked about what do we want from the new Congress, and what do we want from uh, what is going to be hopefully a completely uh, pro-life uh, Congress in the sense of who has the majority in come 2025. What are we, what are we uh, as a movement asking are pro-life elected representatives to do now in the short term there's a there we 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 wrestled with this problem there are some uh who who, in the congress even who who are you know essentially pro-life in their in their position who are saying oh why why do we have to bring up the abortion issue right away because right at the beginning of this new congress they passed a resolution uh, standing with the pregnancy centers who have been subjected to violence, and they also uh, they also uh, voted on a measure to protect babies born alive after a failed abortion. And yet, even though these measures passed, some members were saying, "Oh, why? Why do we have to raise this whole abortion thing again?" Some have become afraid of the issue. Uh, they think it was a liability in the midterms. Of course, that's a that's a whole discussion in and of itself. It wasn't. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't the kind of problem some think that it that it was, um, and, and and so some want to run away from it. This is not good 
policy or politics to run away from this issue at this point in time. And there's one more piece of legislation that they've been getting the votes together for, um, should have passed already, but there, you know, again, there's some members that waver a little bit. And it's called the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion uh, Bill, just to, to, to solidify clear across government that our money won't be used for killing babies in the womb. Uh, the leaders resolved uh, unanimously that we need to push for this in, the, in these coming days and get this vote and start encouraging our members, and everyone can play a role in this, don't be afraid of the abortion issue. We want to hear about the protection of life because that's the fundamental purpose of government. So that was one of the, uh, the many clear, strong consensus points coming from the leaders that can also lead to good action on the part of, of everyone in our audience. Uh, this is fantastic. Uh, Frank Pavone, who is that of Priests for Life, and uh, I, I think you're asking exactly the right question. What do we want Congress to do? What do we want the states to do? Because there's a difference between just being generally a pro-life advocate and saying, I stand for uh, you know, eradicating abortion. But you know, we may have a lot of passion on that issue, but unless you actually have a plan and a strategy and an ask, then how, how do we actually get this accomplished? And what I think is right. really interesting about the, the whole Dobbs decision, and I've had a number of um, members of Congress on uh, this issue, but um, Representative Banks actually uh, was very prolific, I think, on this issue, on this show, um, at the start of the congressional session um, in January last month. And he rightly pointed out that the Dobbs decision does not specifically just leave the issue of abortion regulation up to the states only, but to the people and its elected representatives, which would include right. Congress and the federal right. legislature. And so in uh, in your view, when hopefully we do have a um, solid conservative majority and we have um, a a Republican um, or at least you know, independent, somebody not a Democrat in the White House in 2025, um, then this this type of legislation could actually be passed to fulfill the mandate of the Constitution to protect life. And um, and I do yeah. think that, you know, as you and I agree, that is the fundamental threshold right, because without the right to life, then we can't, as human beings, express or exercise any other rights if we don't first and foremost have a right to life. So is there model legislation? Um, you know, you mentioned some of these titles and things um, and, and this resolution. Um, but is there model legislation for each of um, not only the states to pass, but on the federal level? What is actually being discussed in Congress on their level? Yes. Well, Jenna, this is this is important right here, this point. Let's unpack it a little bit more. First of all, again, in terms of Dobbs, um, uh, the leaders in this recent meeting emphasized that point very strongly. You know, we've been we've been sort of catching ourselves in a trap because we've been using, you know, from when Dobbs first made its way through the courts, we've been using this phrase, return it back to the states, return it back to the states. What we were discussing in the leaders' meeting was, look, that's only partially true. I don't think of it uh, uh, vertically, think of it horizontally. In other words, it's not a shift from the federal to the states. What Dobbs brought about was a horizontal shift from the judiciary to the legislative branch. In other words, the courts are no longer going to block 
uh, a pro life legislation as long as it uh, meets the you know rational basis uh, standard of review. It's a uh, you know it's it's advancing a legitimate state interest in a reasonable way, and and that's all you need. The court is the court is not going to defend some kind of fabricated right to abortion. So it's shifting from the courts to the legislatures in, in as much as they will be will be will be recognized for their their autonomy and their right to pass these kinds of laws. So then that raises the next logical question, which kind of laws? Now, the leaders who were gathered here, unanimously, we had 43 different uh, groups represented, unanimously, they said, we need Congress to pass and we need whoever's going to be in the White House to get behind the, uh, uh, the gestational limits on abortion. Now, what are we talking about? We just got finished mentioning about the no taxpayer funding. Okay, we need to do that. But that's sort of like, you know, it should be go without saying. We're not going to force people to pay uh, for the killing of children for something that so many Americans deeply believe is morally abhorrent. Okay, that's point number one. But then are we going to actually protect these babies by law? Now, right now, there have already been introduced in the House of Representatives a couple of pieces of legislation. I just mentioned two. One is, is, is um, to, to, to start protecting babies when scientific consensus says they can feel pain, which at this point has gotten to the point of 15 weeks. And the second one is when you can detect a heartbeat, which essentially is at uh, six weeks into the pregnancy, although the heart starts beating only 21 days into uh, after uh, fertilization. Point is, these are two different um, uh, lines that can be drawn gestationally, after which abortion would not be permitted. What we're saying is, don't just leave that to the state. Congress has a role, too, and we want them to actually pass these gestational limits nationwide. Now, the other side likes to you know, scare people about this, but the reality is that uh, most Americans want abortion to be far more restricted than it is now. They want these babies to be far more protected than they are now. And uh, Congress, going back to the Dobbs case, one of the key briefs in the case, you'll remember, was from uh, 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 228 sitting members of Congress saying, let us do our jobs which is to legislate, let us do our jobs to protect 100%. these children. And, and we have to take a break here, um, but we'll be right back with more with Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life and some really encouraging um, outcomes, I think, here about really protecting life and making headway because we are the pro-life generation. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back on this beautiful February Friday. And I'm talking with Father Frank Pavone, who is the head of Priests for Life and this a national coalition of pro-life leaders uh, that met 
last week and uh, giving us uh, kind of some insights into what was discussed. And uh, before the the break, um, Father Pavone, you were talking about um, some of this legislation and um, the outcome of of the Dobbs decision and about how uh, members of Congress, I think it was 228 of them who actually signed on to a brief supporting the Dobbs decision and, um, and said, as you articulated very well, let us do our job on the federal level. And there is a lot to be accomplished in protecting life. So, um, so continue with this kind of this, this scope of this plan, because especially with a, um, with a red wave in 2024, and if we get uh, the majority of conservatives back in the Senate and also the White House, this type of legislation genuinely can be accomplished. And I'm really excited about this. Well, me too. And, and, and Jenna, it was so great to see the dynamics among these leaders. I mean, we're we're friends. We interact with each other at different conferences and 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 on the streets and in the legislatures and in the uh, in the uh, uh, work, hard work of elections. And these leaders, you know, we're, we're rubbing shoulders all the time. But to come together for three whole days to have meals, to have times of fellowship and prayer, and then to sit down and do the hard work of hammering out strategy. Uh, few things for me have been more rewarding in this movement than to uh, bring these leaders together and do this. Now, one of the things that um, is, 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 is happening here is this. We realize we're at a very critical moment right now because, though obviously we can't, uh, again, as we, as we all know and as we said, we can't get the laws actually passed in this current configuration of the Congress and the White House. But right now we've got to conquer this um, because otherwise it's going to become like a cancer. This idea that, oh, I'm jittery about the abortion issue. I, I mentioned it briefly in our first segment. But we the leaders said we have got to be first of all, the groups renewed their commitment to educate candidates and to educate those who already hold public office about why the abortion issue when a pro-life position is expressed in a clear, compassionate way, is not a political liability. It's an asset. It's not a losing issue. It's a winning issue. They need to realize that. You know, we went through a period, I always think back to when I first was getting involved in, in this movement and in politics. You know, we had a lot of candidates and office holders and presidents and, you know, running away, hiding from the abortion issue, even though they said they were pro-life. Now, this was not the case under President Trump. I mean, he was vocal and he was strong. In fact, the way he spoke about this issue really inspired uh, all of us. And I remember, in fact, uh, 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 and this was made public a a number of times, how when he was given his State of the Union address, you know, the the, the semifinal draft to look over, he, he took his pen uh, and in the section uh, on abortion, added some things to it. I want to say more about this. And and this this is 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 very meaningful to us in the movement. This is not an issue to run away from. Um, when when people think just in terms of oh, we're going to restrict or prohibit. No, no, no. We're going to protect. We're going to help in Texas, where they where they passed very comprehensive protection for the unborn. You know, they threw in in that bill a hundred million dollars for for providing alternatives to abortion for moms who are pregnant and in need. And then they added more to it uh, uh, after that. So, um, you know, I think you and I and so many others who are commenting on these things. Now's the time, according to all these leaders, 
that, that we really need to push this point and, and teach our, our candidates and elected officials how to make this point uh, clearly and convincingly. We, we do, absolutely. And I think you raise uh, several really important points, which is first, we need to be on um, the affirmative and advocate for why protecting life is obviously the best uh, policy decision morally, but even just changing the language of how we advocate, especially in uh, more of the public square and, and with people who don't share this viewpoint, because we're allowing the so-called pro-choice uh, side to harness language, because even that term pro-choice sounds so much better, and they call us anti-abortion, which sounds so negative, right? Where I actually, mm-hmm. um, and I know that um, the the AFR audience here, and you know, all of us here, um, have issues with uh, with Carrie Lake on a few other things, and you know, that aside, um, I do think that the way that she answered the question of abortion was really good and really smart because she would tell Mm. uh, reporters when they said, you know, well, why are you trying to take away choice? And she's going, why are you? And she actually said to an interview, she said, no, I am for choice. Why are, why is the abortion on demand movement suggesting to women that your only alternative is abortion. When you have all of these different reasons, whether it's, you know, socioeconomic, it's your demographic, it's your age, it's, you know, whatever it is, that your only choice, you are being pressured for abortion. And she said, I want to give more choices. Why aren't we talking about adoption? Why aren't we talking about, you know, other uh, help and assistance for women who, who become pregnant? I mean, all of these things articulating in a way and turning the question around to say, no, 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 we're actually the ones that want to protect more options for women than just this massive push to abortion, I think was really, really well done. And to yeah. your point, um, Father Frank, we need to be doing more of that. But also, you you raise an excellent point that we need to not back down from being ardent advocates, courageous advocates about this issue, because there is a contingent of you know, maybe if we want to call them establishment rhinos, you know, whatever, who are hesitant on this issue because they think it doesn't necessarily pull well or their, you know, political consultant class have told them all kinds of whatever nonsense about how, you know, oh, don't focus on this issue because, you know, potentially this lost the midterms in 2022 for us. Well, my response to that would be, you know what, if if Roe versus Wade got overturned and that meant that we just took back the house in terms of Republicans. I'm totally fine with that because this was such yeah. a generational win, even if that were true, which you and I both don't think that it is. Um, you know, this wasn't the seminal big deal issue that people make it out to be. But even if that's true, I'm totally OK with that because we got the Dobbs decision and now we have an opportunity over the next two years to pave the way and to actually create, um, as you mentioned, education, model legislation, and then we'll be ready day one of a 2025 presidential administration, whether that's Trump, DeSantis, or someone else, to actually implement this and and pass this um, through Congress and and get this done quickly. And so, but we need to be smart and strategic about this. And so, um, yeah. so as you as you look forward, um, 
again, you know, how, how do you think that the message and this education actually needs to happen with some of these, you know, maybe the consultant class that you and I are unfortunately pretty familiar with in the context of Washington politics that try to inform and advise uh, some of the candidates and, uh, you know, shy away from that issue. It's, it's too controversial where we would say, no, this is yeah. a threshold moral question. Well, we have uh, a, a number of groups in the room, uh, including ours, uh, do candidate education, uh, and, and we want to intensify that. And a lot of it is simply, you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction with the candidates and their staff, or if they're already in elected office, uh, you know, asking for time with them and their staff. Sometimes we go in, um, uh, and when I say we, you know, one of our campaigns is silent no more. So giving voice to those that have had abortions letting them share their stories. We'll go in uh, to Congress and have briefings, and uh, staffers will come to these briefings. Sometimes members will, will drop in as well. And, um, and these briefings are a good tool uh, to help them to really get some good understanding of the dynamics of the issue, the dynamics of public opinion and its response to the various facets of the issue, uh, and do some of the uh, latest um, resources, articles, statistics, uh, studies, and so forth that they can use as they as they either campaign or or govern. Now, the the uh, one of the things that many of them do is they oversimplify uh, or reduce uh, the abortion issue to just one thing. And and one of the things we help them to do is to show how multifaceted it is. Uh, let's just consider this one this one dimension. The the commission of an abortion not only takes the life of a child, but you're talking about multiple people that are impacted. That mom is impacted for life. That dad is impacted. But then think beyond. For every abortion, there are four grandparents to that unborn uh, child. How are they impacted? Sometimes they're the ones that push for it. Or alternatively, they tried to save that life and they failed, and now they've lost a grandchild. They are impacted. What about the friend that drove her friend to have an abortion? Uh, uh, that friend, he or she, is impacted as well. Um, and, 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 and when we talk about impact, we're talking about health impact, too. So people talk about abortion in terms of women's health. Well, how about at the ways that abortion destroys uh, that woman's health for the rest of her life in many different uh, many different ways, uh, physical and psychological, or problems with later pregnancies, and, and so forth. These are all dimensions that we help the candidates and the, and, the, and the office holders understand a little bit better, and then they'll be able to, to use uh, one or another of these insights as they speak to the public. So when they talk about, oh, how does abortion issue poll, or how is it going to motivate or demotivate you know, my potential voters, it's not just one thing that you're talking about. It, it, it depends on what point you're going to bring forward to those voters uh, about the multifaceted impact of abortion on our lives and on our nation. So that's one of the things that we're, that we're, that we're moving forward to do. And, um, you know, another and point on that federal... Yes, go ahead, Janet. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, and that's really encouraging, and I hope for the people that are listening... Uh, you are listening as a pro-life advocate because I know that you know the Christians 
um, around the country listening to this program and who are part of the AFR family, um, this is a threshold issue for us, and we care about this. And I hope as you are listening, you are getting encouraged that you can make a difference in your state and also to your Congress member. Because if these are uh, points and these are things that we can articulate the rationale for pro-life legislation beyond just uh, what the the leftists have told us for decades since Roe versus Wade in 1973. Well, we're just going to shut down the argument because this is super precedent. This is the law of the land. Deal with it. Tough. They have never wanted to have the arguments about abortion and what it actually is as a medical intervention specifically designed to cause the death of the child on the merits. They have never had to defend these heinous, barbaric practices that, as you rightly pointed out, Frank Pavone, are harmful and damaging to the mother, obviously are disastrous and and, and life-taking from the child, but it impacts the family, the wider scope of all involved uh, in this, uh, this immoral decision. And also for um, that generation and, and all of the future generations that are cut off by the intentional killing of the child, then all future generations coming from that particular line are cut off. I mean, this has wide, wide reaching impact. And we have an opportunity now to actually defend and also advance, not just defend, but advance and advocate for the pro-life moral position and the proper medical um, and healthcare, genuine healthcare of the mother and mental health and all of these different things, these positions on the merits in a way that we have not been able to in the public square and especially in state legislatures and in Congress on the merits we have not been able to since 1973. And that is very exciting. And I hope that this is exciting you listening today that you can get involved in this fight. And instead of just being a pro-life advocate in general and advancing this mission generally, as we have over the past you know, 50 years, we can actually truly make a difference in policy because we can educate our legislators and we can stand behind them, affirm them, and tell them this is why we are the pro-life generation and why the policy has to match the moral issue. And and we want to invite people to be part of this effort too. You know, on the when we're talking about training candidates, getting the message out. Uh, you know, the folks listening to us right now may in fact be the ones. Uh, to be the bridge between these different leaders that just gathered together at our at our headquarters uh, and, uh, and and their elected officials. We're talking, talking about state officials as well as federal ones. Uh, and so I yes. want to invite Jenna people to you know join our efforts, connect with us, and uh, you know we're at endabortion.us. And uh, you know these these efforts are not going to be you know secret efforts. You know we, we want this to be very very uh, very very public and and an effort of our of our entire entire movement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to have to take one more break here uh, pretty soon, but I want to come back with uh, Father Frank Pavone and uh, talk more about some of the other issues that you were going to go into. But for everyone listening, this is our opportunity right now before 2025 to get involved. Go to endabortion.us. You have a lot of resources there. 
but make it your mission, part of your ministry, part of your homeschooling, part of your church, uh, part of your daily life to be engaged and to truly over the next two years make a huge difference for legislation around the country on the state and federal level. We can do this. We should do this. We must. And we will be right back with more with Father Frank Pavone and Priest for Life talking about ending abortion in America. It's, it's amazing. I love that we are in the ripe possibility to do this. And we'll be right back with more right here on American Family Radio Network. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And it is a really encouraging Friday talking with Father Frank Pavone, who is the head of Priests for Life and part of this wider coalition of allies and truth advocates that want to end abortion in the United States. And really, you know, we are behind as a country on the issue of protecting life. And that is a terrible, terrible thing that we are supposed to be this nation that is the shining beacon on a hill, that we have the best system of government in the world. We're the freest uh, country in the world. We have so much going for us that is a Uh, really an inheritance of the blessings of liberty provided by our founding fathers. And yet we are so, so, so far behind on the issue of abortion. But as uh, Father Frank Pavone has uh, been talking about this entire hour, and if you've missed uh, the other two segments, you can go and listen at AFR.net to the podcast version of this program. And you should, um, because what he's been talking about is that we have two years to basically get our ducks in a row and have the education of our state and federal elected officials and our policymakers and our legislators to end abortion in the United States. And this is a very tangible, real possibility. And we need to be doing the work now. So you can go to endabortion.us. And um, so Father Pavone, in this um, in this final segment here, um, you know, you were about to talk about, you know, a few other points and some other things coming out of this meeting. Um, so what else do we need to know as the pro-life generation, pro-life advocates? And um, I'm just really encouraged today. So, you know, thank you for all of this. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that the, the 43 leaders have also discussed was, was the state-by-state battles uh, over abortion and how we can have how we can make every state battle a national battle. This is essential. We didn't do well in the in the five uh, state battles that took place during the midterms. And, and you know, we analyzed some of the re- reasons for that. Some of the messaging was 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 very bad. But one of the problems we identified was the fact that, you know, many of these states are, you know, you just have state groups that have far less resources than their opponents on the on the pro-abortion side who are marshalling all their resources from across the nation. And they always have more money than we do, but you know, we have something that they don't, which is the truth and and the and the and the 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 the, the, the word of God that changes things. But the point is that the state groups cannot be left alone to take to fight these battles. Just as the other side mobilizes from coast to coast, every time they're trying to advance their pro-abortion agenda in a particular state, so the pro-life movement must do. And so we talked about ways of doing that with the national groups there in the room 
And we made a commitment that we're going to do this. Now, we had a big battle coming up, for example, in Ohio. Ohio is one of the next big battles where the other side is trying to enshrine abortion uh, without restrictions in that state. We can't let that happen. But 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 what is what is the messaging going to be and where are the resources going to come from to put uh, uh, create and an air powerful ads, for example, or where are the volunteers going to kind of come from to to knock on doors and get the right you know, votes out there. Well, this has got to be a national effort. So the leaders agreed we're going to do that, and, and that's very encouraging as well. And, you know, the states where where abortion has been, quote, enshrined, you know, even in their constitution, like Michigan, for example, like California, um, here's something that people need to keep in mind. Just as we were talking earlier about putting national limits on abortion, if that happens, because of the supremacy clause of the Constitution, uh, for example, a nationwide limit at 15 weeks or even at six weeks would apply in those states. So this would even even if California, Michigan or other states have put it in their Constitution that there has to be abortion without limits. Nevertheless, in those places, the babies would would again be protected if we advance this on the federal level. So national to state collaboration in these battles, another very big topic that um, that we dealt with. Absolutely. And, you know, was there any talk as well of, you know, with legislation, because obviously that can be repealed or, you know, interpreted um, various ways by future Supreme Courts and things um, about when we have a majority in Congress, not, you know, whether it's a super majority to get to the two thirds level uh, required in Article five of the Constitution. um, Was there any discussion and potential advancement on a constitutional amendment that would protect life um, from, you know, whether it's the moment of conception, which of course I think you and I would agree with, but um, but even, I mean, I would be overjoyed to even have um, a constitutional amendment that protects from the heartbeat of a child. I mean, you know, some of these things that are, um, you know, other people would lambast and say, well, you know, and some, some people would say, well, you know, a heartbeat doesn't go far enough, so I can't in good faith um, support that legislation. I'm thinking, yeah, but you know how many babies you're saving? Like, let's let's do this incrementally, and that is still a huge win. Um, but, but on the issue of just a constitutional amendment, um, was there any talk about that? Well, uh, not in depth. Uh, we did bring it up, and, and various leaders have various ideas about that. Now, uh, you know, I reminded people, you know, you look at the platform of the Republican Party, which is very strongly pro-life. The idea of a constitutional amendment is actually in there explicitly. Um, you look at what the United States Catholic bishops, furthermore, say in their uh, plan for, for pro-life activities. They mention it, too. Um, you look at the, how the March for Life uh, developed over the, these 50 years and, and Nellie Gray and putting in there the, the life principles. There, the idea is mentioned. Because as you know, and as, you're, as you referred to briefly, this is the most, um, the most solid and permanent you can get as far as public policy you know, in our system of government is to amend the Constitution. So I'm convinced that that ultimately does have to happen. Some of the leaders expressed the idea that, well, you know, in the 14th Amendment, you already have, 5th and 14th Amendment, you already have the protection of life in the Constitution. And you know, my response to that is, yes, I believe that. I believe that that is applicable to all human life. Uh, the problem is, if it's not explicitly uh, including the unborn, again, 
interpretation kicks in and you're subject to uh, uh, people interpreting it different ways at different points in our history. Let's get it explicitly in there. I think to me, the idea of a constitutional amendment saying that the you know human life in the womb has to be protected it would not necessarily be adding something that's not already there, but would be making explicit something that is there but is is implicit. So right. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. and that that totally makes sense. And I would agree with you that our government is required to protect life um, by virtue of uh, what powers are provided to not only the federal government, but the state government as well. And again, you know, just on the, the sheer understanding that if we're protecting any rights that are given by God, our creator, as the mandate of the Declaration of Independence provides uh, for the groundwork of, of the Constitution as the kind of the nuts and bolts, it's that, um, you know, our, our creator endowed us with our rights and the first and chief of those is the right to life. And so if our government is obligated to protect any rights, um, of course, it's obligated to protect life. But, you know, you mentioned the 14th Amendment. And just so people are are clear about this, um, Section 1 talks about um, no state will um, or nor shall is the language nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty or property without due process of law and so while yes the term life is in there um, this has been largely and, and I think genuinely correctly interpreted in the context of a judicial process I mean this is talking more about um, the death penalty it's talking more about deprivation and the, and the due process elements that also um, are, of course, mentioned in um, the, the Bill of Rights prolifically and in the context of the government being the one to impose uh, that deprivation. And so rather than, um, you know, someone who is not a government actor like a mother. And so um, so I think that, you know, you are absolutely correct that this should be explicit in the uh, sense that we are contemplating abortion regulation. And, um, and and that's incredibly important. Um, but I also want to make sure before uh, we run out of time here, you know, the hour always goes by so quickly. Um, but in, in, the, in the few minutes that we have here, um, the, the kind of, I would say, elephant in the room um, in terms of the pro-life position following the Dobbs decision and moving forward uh, into a a pro-life um, advocacy that is championed and courageously championed. Um, what did you make of President Trump's comments when, you know, he, as some people would term it, blamed the evangelical community and, and the Dobbs opinion for the midterms? Um, I didn't personally take it as harshly um, in his comments as other people did or wanted to spin that. But I do think we need to address that because um, if you have someone like President Trump, who I believe is the current um, leader of the GOP and the party, um, suggesting in any way that uh, abortion is a is an issue that may, uh, if we champion this too much, um, will have negative impacts on elections, then that in and of itself, that interpretation of his statements may cause some of these candidates or elected officials to back away from being as ardent champions as we would prefer them to be. I, I when I read that, I, I, I first of all, I was saying to people who were asking me about it, I said, listen, you know, d- 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 don't don't rely just on one social media post. Uh, but I heard him also saying in that fight harder. Uh, he said, well, where were the where were the people, you know, uh, in the pro-life effort 
you know, now that you got what you wanted, you got Dobbs, and, and now, you know, then it was like years. I heard him saying fight harder. I also heard him saying be reasonable. Uh, for example, you know, we oppose all abortion. I mean, we, you know, you and I, the people in there that were in that room among the leaders, we don't think any abortion is morally acceptable. But politically speaking, if you have a legislative body ready to protect babies, but they say, well, we want the exceptions, you know, uh, uh, rape, incest, mother's life and whatnot, um, you, you know, it's perfectly morally acceptable to pass a, a, a law that's protecting many of the babies, but not all, because that's all you can get from that legislative body at that point in time. I heard him saying that, you know, don't don't take a position that takes the moral absolute uh, of abortion and and turns it into a political absolute where you can't budge unless and until you get it all. That's there's two different worlds here that that are uh, that go by by. Um, by different dynamics. So it's like I, I heard him saying that. And then I think that there are some consultants that are mistakenly uh, thinking that that abortion, like we've kind of discussed this at the big, very beginning of the program, that abortion is a liability rather than an asset. And 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 I would simply say that if if there are people advising him along those lines, uh, you know, the discussion needs to continue and we need to show them that that is not the case. Uh, polling after Many of the recent elections that, that, that we have done by a variety of different groups has shown that pro-life people uh, are uh, more – more of the people who say abortion is an issue in their vote are pro-life than pro-abortion. And we have outnumbered uh, the other side like two to one in many elections. Now, this one was an anomaly in as much as the wound was still raw – on the other side because Roe was taken away from them. Um, that's not going to be the same thing psychologically two years from now. It, it, it's simply not. First of all, simply because of the passage of time. And secondly, because people are going to see in those states that are protecting the unborn uh, now from abortion that the sky didn't fall, things didn't fall apart, you know, women weren't dying in the streets, people weren't denied health care. Uh, it's going to be a very different situation when we go to the polls in 2024. Uh, that, so the other side was, was really riled up this time. And, then there, uh, you know, abortion was a higher issue in the polling of what issues are important among the Democrats this time around than it was among the Republicans, to be expected because of what happened with, with Roe. But that doesn't translate into, oh, abortion is a losing issue. No, not right. at all. Right. And I, and I think that was so very well put, uh, Frank Pavone. And, and, and you're absolutely right that it is going to be a different posture of our whole country. And especially when you have um, some of these uh, trigger laws that are now going into effect that uh, were passed by some states that if Roe was overturned and the issue returned to the states that uh, they would immediately go into effect. Those are being challenged and those are being upheld, actually, as yes, this is the province of the legislature. This is exactly Exactly what the Supreme Court rightly uh, held and rightly expressed that Roe was uh, wrongly uh, wrongly contemplated immediately in its inception. I mean, it was just it was just wrong in terms of the analysis of the constitutional authority. And so, in just the last minute um, that I have with you here, so people I think are encouraged. Um, we are excited for the next two years. Um, and so, again, you know, you have uh, the website endabortion.us. Um, what is the next step for people who want to get involved um, in just the last 30 seconds we have here? 
Yeah, sign up uh, on our website. We're going to have online trainings. We're going to have in-person trainings. We're going to have our people coming through your state. We're going to need representatives uh, in the different states, in the different communities, activists uh, that can help pursue these these activities. Uh, we're going to do a lot, Jenna, a lot of broadcasting, and people can see it on that website as well. Excellent. Well, you are of a just a wonderful advocate and I hope that we can have many many conversations right here over the next two years and I'm really encouraged so get involved uh, share this broadcast with all of your friends go to AFR.net and get involved and uh, I will see you Monday morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning let's continue to pray for our nation to end abortion <laughs>